0: Old Testament text tonight is Psalm 37, verse 11 verses. Let's give our attention to God's holy word. Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of man who prospers in his way. Because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and delight themselves. An abundance of peace. Our New Testament reading is, uh, excuse me, Romans uh, chapter eight, verses fifteen through eighteen. The sermon is going to be really just uh, on verse seventeen, but to give the context here, we'll read verses fifteen through eighteen. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Amen. Thanks be to God for his most gracious word. Would you pray with me now and ask his blessing on it? Lord, you have the words of life. To whom else shall we go? You speak and a new life springs forth. Would you speak now by your word to our very hearts that we might have the life in Christ that we so need. Work, we pray, by your Spirit's power to this end. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. John Lennon's famous song, Imagine, asks us to picture a world uh, where there is no heaven. He says, it's easy. If you try. Um, but what's interesting about the rest of the song is that as he goes on, he pictures heaven. Um, it's actually, it seems, not so easy to imagine there's no heaven. And he goes on in the rest of the song to paint this picture of brotherly love and, and, and peace and prosperity and just happiness all around, a, a kind of a picture of heaven. It's this picture for us of the very stubborn paradox of our fall into sin. That, that since the fall, we do everything we can to suppress the truth about God, and we try to hide from God, but deep down in our hearts, we're still hungering after Him, and still hungering after Eden, and really what was better than Eden, the promise of Eden, that glorious uh, eternal life in God's presence that was held out to our first parents there. Um, so just despite our sin, we cannot escape the fact that we were made for God and made for the inheritance that He designed to give us. C.S. Lewis talks about this in his book, The Problem of Pain. He writes this, There have been times when I think we do not desire heaven, but more often I find myself wondering whether in our heart of hearts we have ever desired anything else. All the things that have ever deeply possessed your soul have been but hints of it. Tantalizing glimpses, promises never quite fulfilled, echoes that died away just as they caught your ear. Lewis is saying the, the great joys of life, the ones you wish you could hold on to, that, that, that sweet moment, right? It's a taste. It's this little flicker of that heavenly inheritance that we were made for. Our hearts are haunted by homesickness for heaven. We try to correct it ourselves, try to build our babbles up to heaven to claim that inheritance again, but that's only a dead end. The only way that we can gain the inheritance that we were made for is through the gracious gift of God. If He comes and He gives it to us by His grace and only by His grace. Last time uh, it was... A couple of weeks now since we've been in Romans chapter 8. Um, and, and we're working through this, looking at the work of the Spirit, which has highlighted so much for us in this chapter. Um, and, and last time we were looking at the first great benefit of having received the Spirit, who is the Spirit of adoption, that, that, that wonderful truth that we're brought into the very family of God, that the Spirit's in our hearts now as the Spirit of adoption. He makes us able to cry out, Abba, Father. He gives us that sweet assurance that as surely as, as we know who our earthly fathers are, so much more so we know who our Heavenly Father is and His love and His love for us. That was, the, that was two weeks ago, the first benefit of the spirit of adoption. Tonight we take up the second great benefit of having received the spirit of adoption. And it's right there in verse 17 uh, that uh, because we are united to Christ, made sons through the work of the Spirit, uh, we are God's children. And because we're God's children, we're heirs of God. We're going to unpack this tonight under three headings. The first one is this, the cause of our inheritance. We see in the text here the cause of our inheritance. Um, we have an independent streak, um, especially here in America, in our culture, that resists the very idea of an inheritance. There's something we don't like about someone getting a whole bunch of money for free from their parents. Um, Reportedly, Bill Gates plans on giving 99.97% of his 96 billion to charity, and a meager 10 million to each of his children. Uh, he wants them to learn some work, right? He wants them to have that work ethic. It's a very American thing to do. Um, we we want to we want to, we, we love this story of the entrepreneur who comes from nothing and achieves his own success. Um, uh, That's who we celebrate in our culture. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think in many ways it's a good thing to have a work ethic like that and celebrate it. But in the gospel, what we're confronted with, with the inheritance that God gives us, is first of all the truth that it's an inheritance we could never earn ourselves. Um, The only inheritance, the only wages we have coming to us, Romans has already told us, is the wages of sin, which which is death, Ephesians 2.3 echoes this, calls us children of wrath. Not, not children of God, not children expecting God's inheritance, but children of wrath, expecting wrath as our inheritance. So the basis, the basis for receiving this inheritance must be gracious. It must come from outside of ourselves, it must come from God Himself. So what is that basis? We have this wonderful inheritance. What's the cause? What's the basis of it? Well, it's, it's Christ himself. You see in the text, Paul says that we are joint heirs with Christ. He's the basis for our inheritance. He's the cause. Ephesians 1.5 puts it very similarly. It says that uh, in love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Because we're adopted in Christ, He's the basis of our inheritance as well. There could be no other basis. The whole story of the Bible makes this makes this clear for us. God, uh, the, the story of the Bible is in many respects a story of adoption and inheritance. Um, it begins with God creating Adam in His image, as Luke uh, Luke chapter three calls him His His Son, and God promises Adam a glorious inheritance if he will be a faithful son and faithfully reflect his image. But, of course, Adam fails. He sins. No inheritance. Exile. Right? He's cast out from that. So God adopts another son, Israel, whom he calls his firstborn son in Exodus chapter 4. And he brings them into their inheritance. But they fail. And they're exiled. right, we see this story in God's Word. He raises up a son, but the son fails. We need another son, a new son, that God will adopt and grant inheritance to. And that son, of course, is our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Now, of course, we need to remember Jesus, according to his divine nature, is the eternal Son of God. He's not adopted and made the eternal Son of God. He is always, from all eternity, the second person of the Trinity, forgotten of God from before all worlds. He's not adopted. However, when, when we look at Christ, he comes down takes on our nature. We see that according to his human nature, as, as the God-man, as the Messiah, he is adopted as God's son. Uh, we see this in uh, uh, foreshadowed for us, especially at Christ's baptism. We see the spirit, the spirit of adoption, poured out on Christ. That is, Baptism. And God says, this is my beloved son. Uh, Foreshadowing Christ's uh, Christ's, um, uh, full adoption when he's raised from the dead. The New Testament presents Christ's resurrection as his adoption as the true Israel, the better Adam, the true son of God. Romans 1 verse 4 makes it explicit. Uh, It says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Um, that, that, that's a good translation. Another translation gives it a little more clearly, translates the Greek, I think, a little better when it says this, Jesus was appointed to be the powerful Son of God according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Paul's not saying he wasn't divine and he became the divine son at his resurrection. He's saying that as the incarnate Christ, he is adopted by God for our sakes. That that in his resurrection God is raising up the new man, the new son, the better Adam, the better Israel. And he's saying, "This is my son." Another text that bears this out Acts 13 Verses 30 through 33 says, But God raised him from the dead, and we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he's fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. There in Acts, Paul's preaching, and he's, he's saying, God, God raised his son from the dead and, and, and then called him his son. Christ's resurrection very much is seen as his adoption through the power of the Spirit. Let's uh, bring bring this to the point here. Um, this is why Paul then calls us co-heirs with Christ, because our adoption happens in Christ's adoption. Listen, loved ones, to the to, to, to the to the implications of the Spirit who raised Jesus and adopted, accomplished his adoption as the Messiah is now in us. The very Spirit who raised Him up is is now in us and unites us to Jesus Christ so that His adoption is now our adoption. See, all the benefits of our salvation, justification, adoption, sanctification, all the rest, they're all found in Christ. They're not separate things that that are shipped to us, but they're, they're contained in Christ. We're justified in His justification. We're adopted in His adoption. And the precious truth of this for us, loved ones, is that it means our adoption is not different in degree or kind from Christ's adoption. That our relationship with God as His children is not different in degree or kind from the Messiah's relationship with God. That you by virtue of adoption in Christ, sharing in his very own adoption, you are just as much loved and just as much welcomed and just as much his child as Christ himself. Just as much an heir. You're not an embarrassment or a second-rate kid or an illegitimate child in God's eyes. There's no primogeniture in the family of God. You're right there with our Lord Jesus Christ as a child of God. And therefore, his inheritance is our inheritance. John Murray, in his classic commentary on Romans, writes this, he says, Just as Jesus, in his sufferings, death, and resurrection, cannot be contemplated apart from those on whose behalf he suffered, died, and rose again, so in the glory bestowed on him as the reward of his finished work, he cannot be contemplated apart from them. And they in the state of glory cannot be contemplated apart from him. Therefore, the glory of their inheritance can be none other than the glory which is Christ's and the reward of his exaltation. Now, what he's saying, when you think about Christ's death, you know it's Christ's death for you. You think about His resurrection. You know it's Christ's resurrection for you. So also, when we think about Christ and His glorification, adopted, received into heaven, receiving the inheritance, it's for you. Such is the virtue of our union with Christ. He was adopted for us, received His inheritance for us, rewarded for us, so that we could share in it. This is the... Basis of our adoption and the basis of our inheritance. It's in Christ. This is the the sweet and stunning grace of God. He adopts us for Christ's sake in Christ, gives us Christ's inheritance that Christ earned. We were children of wrath, right? But the obedient son, our Lord Jesus, what he earned is given to us now. That him we love, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, has a line which which gets so close to this. um, Why should I gain from his reward? It's a wonderful line. I might tweak it just a little bit. Why should I gain his very reward? We don't just gain part of what Christ was given. We gain his very own inheritance because we're sons in the Son. This is the cause of our inheritance, brothers and sisters. It's all found in Christ's inheritance. Second point, the content of our inheritance. We've seen the cause. What's what's the actual inheritance itself? Uh, We've just established that when Paul says in verse 17 we're co-heirs with Christ, he means that our inheritance is found in our union with Christ. Um, and that we inherit what Christ inherits. But what exactly is the inheritance that he has in mind? What is it that Christ inherits, and and what is it, therefore, that in him we also uh, stand to inherit? Uh, To shed a little more light on this, there's another passage where Paul is tracing out some of these very same themes. uh, Over in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29 through 4, verse 7. Uh, I'm going to read a couple of the verses from that section which shed a little bit of light on the content of our inheritance for us. They they get us started with looking in the right direction here. It says this, Galatians 3, 29, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to promise. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons... Spirit, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So same, uh, same, many, many of the same themes there. Paul is linking our adoption as being in Christ, and he's drawing the line of the witness of the Spirit of adoption in our hearts, enabling us to cry, Abba, Father. And then he moves to the conclusion, therefore, as children of God, we're heirs of God. But what he does a little bit different in Galatians is he links our inheritance explicitly to Abraham. There in verse 29, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So the inheritance we receive is the inheritance that was promised to Abraham. Um, takes us all the way back to Genesis 12, 15, 17. Several texts there in Genesis which uh, draw out and flesh out the inheritance God promised to Abraham. But we can sum up the inheritance promised to Abraham under three key parts. Um, one, is, one is a, is a place. Uh, God promises a land inheritance. And the second part is a, a people, a nation. God's going to make him a great nation. Um, and the third is that he will make him a blessing, that through him one will come who will bring blessing on all the nations. Um, The the promise then is that God is going to establish through Abraham a holy people and a holy place under his holy representative who brings blessing to, to all. Um, and, and as the Bible story unfolds, we start to see that what is being promised to Abraham is the fulfillment of what was promised, uh, what was held out in, 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 in Eden but not attained. And now it's not just this physical reality of uh, the earthly promised land, but it's pointing to a heavenly promised land that's coming. Uh, Palestine, Canaan, is like a poor photocopy of, of, the, of the reality of the heavenly inheritance that's ahead. Um, What does this all mean for us, then? Our inheritance is Abraham's inheritance. What what does this all mean? Um, First of all, loved ones, it means that our inheritance is a place, a holy place, the new heavens and new earth. Our inheritance is the city of God, new Jerusalem, whose builder and maker is God himself. Our inheritance, this holy place, is the place where there is no hurt, but only wholeness. It's the place where there is no ugliness, but only beauty, where there is uh, no, no selfishness, but only kindness. Our inheritance is the place where there is no hatred, but only love, no grief, but only joy, where there's no lack, but only abundance, no death, but only resurrection life, bodily resurrection life with God, no pain, only pleasure, no anxiety, only sweet comfortable security in our God. It's the place where God dwells with his people, where there's not the smallest shadow of sin or any effects of sin. Think about that place. A place where there is not the smallest hint of sin or any effects of it. That's your inheritance. You have a right and a title to it in Christ. The second part of the inheritance, the holy place, is, 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 the, is the people. Um, God is, is uh, bringing together a holy people who have been purified in Christ. Part of the inheritance is to belong to the people of God. Um, now, we might not always think that that sounds like a wonderful uh, inheritance. Other people, um, as one, uh, one philosopher famously said, hell is other people. Um, That's a bit more like it sometimes, right? Um, But no, for the Christian loved ones, for us as children of God, heaven is other people. Heaven is the church of Christ, the body of Christ, the people of Christ. Because in heaven, um, in heaven we we are made what we are meant to be. Um, Imagine living in a world where everyone around you has the very character of Christ perfectly manifested in them. Where everyone around you loves you as much as he loves himself. And is and, and humble and kind and gentle towards you. What a heaven it would be if you're surrounded by all these images of Christ who are just like their Savior. In Ephesians 1.18, Paul explicitly says that the saints are part of Christ's own inheritance. It says, the, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? God, by His grace, is taking filthy, selfish sinners and turning them into perfectly conformed to Christ. And, and, and that will be heaven. And that is what we're looking forward to, part of our inheritance third part of our inheritance Um, will be to be under the rule and reign of God's holy representative our Lord Jesus Christ as king he is the king who will reign over us with wisdom and love and gentleness and strength he will be our good shepherd who leads us always into the green pastures and beside the still waters Um, he will be pouring out the richest blessings on us We don't think of government as a sweet and wonderful blessing all the time. But that's because it's corrupted by sin. To have Christ as your all-powerful king is indeed going to be heaven. Um, James Montgomery's paraphrase of Psalm 72, which we sing sometimes, describes, in its third stanza, describes the kingship of Christ like this. He shall come down like showers upon the fruitful earth, Love, joy, and hope like flowers spring in his path to birth. Before him on the mountains shall peace the herald go, and righteousness in fountains from hill to valley flow. This is also our inheritance. Fourth piece of it, final piece, God himself. What Paul says in the text right here in our text, verse 17, when he says we are heirs of God. You can understand the, 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 the of God in two different ways. It could be we are heirs who receive our inheritance from God, or you can understand it as God himself is the inheritance. We inherit God. Both, of course, are true. Um, that God himself is our great inheritance and reward all these other things are because of who he is and wrapped up in him he alone is our is our blessedness and reward um, jesus in, in john 14 uh, verses one through three draws our attention to the same fact he says let not your hearts be troubled believe in god believe also in me in my father's house are many rooms if it were not so Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. That's the inheritance. That's the greatest glory of it all. At the end of the day, it's not anything created because we were made for the Creator himself. It will be to know the infinite, eternal God and all his love for us. Jonathan Edwards, in one of his best sermons, um, Heaven is a World of Love, which I know some of us have read through, um, he, he writes this about heaven and the blessing of knowing God in heaven. He says, In heaven dwells that God from whom every stream of holy love, yea, every drop that is or ever was proceeds. There dwells God the Father, who is the Father of mercies and the Father of love, who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There dwells Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the Prince of peace and love, who so loved the world that he shed his blood and poured out his soul unto death for us. There is the Holy Spirit, the spirit of divine love in whom the very essence of God, as it were, all flows out in the hearts of all the church. There in heaven, this fountain of love, this eternal three and one is set open without any obstacle to hinder access to it. There, this glorious God is manifested and shines forth in full glory. In beams of love, there the fountain overflows in streams and rivers of love and delight, enough for all to drink at and to swim in, yea, so as to overflow the world as it were with a deluge of love. That is our inheritance in Christ. By the Spirit, that—that's what we have a right entitled to in our Lord Jesus Christ as sons in Him, eternal life in the presence of God, knowing His love. That is—that is what God holds out to us freely by His grace. we should—we should dream of it, and long after it, and and ache for it, and yearn for it, and and pray for it and not be tempted by the the, the silly trifles of this world that pretend to compete with it. There is no vision of the good life that the world offers that can compete with our inheritance as the sons of God. But all that's still future. And in the meantime, in the meantime we're still here in this world where there's anxiety and cancer and gossip and adultery, and sin and all manner of suffering. And the inheritance, while we know a taste of it now, it's so much still ahead of us. And in the meantime, we suffer. And this is our third heading the condition of our inheritance. In the second half of verse 17, it says, If indeed we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified together. There's an if. To this inheritance, it might strike us as strange that Paul would say, "You're a co-heir with Christ. You're going to inherit everything that Christ is set to inherit, all the blessings promised to Abraham. You're going to inherit it all if you suffer with Him." How can Paul say that? Didn't we just establish, at some length, that Christ earned our inheritance? It's Christ's death and His obedience and His resurrection. It's His adoption, not ours. That's where our inheritance is earned. Not not in our suffering. That's all true. So how can Paul say, here's this inheritance if you suffer? Well, he's not saying that our sufferings make atonement for our sins. Our sufferings somehow earn heaven for us. But he is saying that if we don't suffer, it's a mark that we're not united to Christ. And if we're not united to Christ there's no inheritance. Our suffering is a mark of our sonship. It's a mark of being united to Christ and being set to inherit His own inheritance. So if we don't suffer with Christ, then no, there's no inheritance. Because our salvation, loved ones, is found in union with Him. We, we established this earlier. Our, our inheritance is, is Christ's inheritance. And, and so if we're united to Christ by faith through the work of the Spirit, then our whole life will take the shape of His life and will follow the pattern of His life. Our life story becomes Christ's own life story. It gets mapped onto His so that we share in His adoption, we share in His inheritance, we share in His suffering too. And this means that the Christian life, as those who are sons of God, the life we should expect here and now, this side of glory, is a, is, is a road down. Uh, there's a prayer in, uh, in the Valley of Vision, the opening prayer there. And one of the lines in that prayer is, the way down is the way up. For the Christian, the way down is the way up. The, the road to heaven is a downward road. Over the road, it says, suffering and humiliation. With Christ, that's what we are to expect. Uh, It's not merely suffering like Christ, following the example of Christ, but Paul says suffering with Christ. We we share in His sufferings. This is um, this is precious for us to understand that such is the closeness of our union with Christ that our sufferings, in a sense, are one and the same not that our sufferings are paying the price for sin but that we're sharing in the same sufferings of the Messiah that mark the end of the age and that even as our Lord Jesus Christ lived out His life in the estate of suffering and humiliation and then rose to the estate of glory so will all those who are united to that Christ by faith and as His resurrection power is already at work in us by His Spirit it's manifest in Suffering with him. What kind of suffering is Paul talking about? We might think he means the big stuff, and I'm sure he includes the big stuff, right? Being persecuted, being a martyr, being uh, ridiculed for your faith, uh, being imprisoned. Of course, he includes all that, um, but, 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 it, it, but it's a bigger category than only that. Um, it includes all the suffering in your life. All of it. Every drop of it. Suffering in union with Christ. Charles Hodge, great Princeton theologian of the 19th century, in his commentary on this text, says this, We suffer as Christ suffered in the ordinary sorrows of life in which he, the man of sorrows, so largely shared. It's in all the things, loved ones, that we suffer. We're suffering with Christ. We need to learn to see our our experience in this life through that lens. Union with Christ, suffering with Christ, with glory ahead, sharing in, in, in the sufferings of Christ. What an honor that is to share in my suffering, even in all of it. What a dignity God has given us as sons in every aspect of even the most mundane trials of life. It's in union with Christ. And then it's, it's out of that. It's out of the knowledge that as, as we suffer, we're suffering together with Christ. And ahead of us is this glory inheritance which will just wipe it all away. Then we can embrace suffering. Not just, not just endure the suffering we're called to, but actually to embrace it. Not, not go looking for it. Um, nowhere in the Bible do we, do we see a command telling us to go in search of suffering and pain. We're not to have martyr complexes. But when it comes in God's providence and we're not able to avoid it, not just to bear it, but to embrace it as God-given. There's a stunning verse in Philippians, end of chapter 1, which says you've received, as a gift, faith and suffering. It's the gift of God to His sons, to His children. So embrace it with joy. There's so many texts in the New Testament which call us to a joyful embrace of our suffering in union with Christ. Romans 5.3 We rejoice in our sufferings, Paul says. James 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. 1 Peter 4, 12, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. All of them are saying the same thing. You've been filled with the Spirit, united to Christ, adopted as sons, suffering with Christ, so rejoice. Glory is coming. Glory is coming. We compile on so many more texts. And these aren't just, these guys writing these things under the inspiration of the Spirit aren't just glibly tossing out aphorisms. These words, these commands to even rejoice in suffering come steeped in the experience of their own trials in union with Christ. They were outcast, ostracized, beaten, persecuted, martyred, all of them. And they say, Rejoice. You're sharing in Christ's sufferings. You're in union with Him. You're a son. It's worth it. The glory that's coming is not worth comparing with the light momentary affliction you're in now. So loved ones, however you are suffering, and that is the heading over the entire Christian life, this side of glory, humiliation, and suffering, whatever whatever shape that's taking in your life right now, embrace it with joy. Rejoice that God has given that to you because it's a mark that you're filled with His Spirit, that you are adopted in Christ as a son, and that your inheritance is sure. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, we thank you for our inheritance that we received as sons. We thank you for the grace you've shown us in Christ. We pray that we would follow after him, that we would keep our eyes fixed on him, and Lord, that you would keep our hearts bound to him. We pray this in his name. Amen.